Information about the world of running, inspiration to fuel passion and excellence, and ideas for making connections and finding community. You're listening to A to Z Running. And welcome to the A to Z Running Podcast, where we help runners thrive. I'm Andy. I'm Zach. Last week on the A to Z Running Podcast, we talked to Clayton Young, who is the U.S. 15K champion, and he was talking to us about transitions. So this week on the A to Z Running Podcast, we want to take a further dive into the changes that we all commonly experience and what that means for our running. So three things you want to think about while we discuss that shortly. Why is change hard for everyone, anyone, all of us? What can we do about common changes in life? And what are those common changes we're likely to experience? How do these things most likely affect training? Mm -hmm. Those are your three things and you will be enlightened Mm -hmm. soon. But before you can be, you need to make sure to follow. Head to a to z running.com. Click the word follow as well as on things like YouTube and subscribe and all of the social media's places. And guess what? We do in fact do some interesting things outside of just the podcast. And certainly Andy is highly active on social media, but we just recently, as an example, posted a video to YouTube of the Rivertown Races half marathon event. It was quite a unique video, largely because the video was recorded from my hand while I was running yeah. with the leaders in the race. Yeah. Have you ever seen and heard commentary from a race from the people running it? Yeah, POV. Who were racing to win it? Mm-hmm. Mm, I bet you haven't because I don't think anyone has ever done that before. Well, but, there's some people who have done like have a GoPro during a race. I've yes. seen that before. But were they the ones trying to win the race is the point. I don't think so. I don't know. And the reason why that's compelling is because we're very curious what you would love to hear and see if you were to see a video about something like this. Because we're not done doing it. We're going to do this again. And what we're trying to do here is just create something different. An experience and a perspective you don't see in races. Mm -hmm. So let us know. Watch the video on YouTube and then comment on it and say, here's something I want to hear or here's something I wish you would have said, all that kind of stuff. Do that. Cool. Well, I didn't get to be there, so it's kind of nice to be able to watch you do it. (laughs) So let's talk about pre-race routines. Thank you to Jennifer for this listener question. So she asked me, like, what do I do for a pre-run routine? And the answer does vary, but there are some common things that I do every single day. Two of those being leg swings and Jay Johnson's lunge matrix. So doing some of those kinds of things is a good idea. Um, And there's definitely kind of like a baseline of what's enough to kind of get the body activated and such. And that's where Jay Johnson's advice came in really handy for runners everywhere, which is the leg swing lunge matrix combination seems to be a good minimum and only takes about five minutes to do Mm -hmm. in total. So that is good advice. Thanks, Andy. But you know, the right drills are important, but perhaps the most important part of preparing for your run is outfitting yourself Oh right. my goodness. Yes, well, it is very it important, is. but it's kind of funny how you're saying that. Most <laughs> important, and that's why you need Exoskin. Let me tell you about it. Seamless athletic apparel to keep you comfortable in any conditions. And here's the thing. We know that you don't want to have to take risks with some new or different apparel that you're not used to and not sure if it's going to feel right, chafe 
in bad places, all of that kind of stuff. So we took the risks for you. And we have been doing extreme things, wearing exoskin socks and compression and even sleeves now, um, just to see if it's good as they claim. And it is. So let me give you an example. I just finished my third day in a row of only wearing exoskin on the bottom. All exoskin. Well, not my socks have changed in and out, but exoskin tights, exoskin compression shorts. And I've even got these like these knee ones, knee compression, like it goes down just past the knees. I love it. That's wonderful stuff. I ran that half marathon race we mentioned in the video. I ran that in the compression from exoskin. So I've been trying basically everything and it's great. It's wonderful. No <laughs> problems at all. Wonderful experience. And now you're asking, but Zach, how can that be? Well, it is wonderful because Exoskin's 100% made in the USA, veteran-owned company. Every product uses their patented rapid-dry copper materials, which are polytetrafluoroethylene, you know, like Teflon, and copper combination. What a combination. I tell you what, it hates moisture, dramatically reduces friction, virtually eliminating chafing, blisters, hot spots, all those things that we have tried to put to the test. Is that true? And it is. Um, and there's other things. There's other perks to all of the stuff here. And I could just keep going on and talking. He's really enthusiastic. And in fact, he spent all of his spending money for the next two months. <laughs> I don't know what she's talking about. <laughs> on Exoskin's about. website. But the good thing about it. I spent all of her spending money from this month. <laughs> oh, is that what Exoskin. happened? But you know it's a good investment because we run a lot. We're spending more time running than we probably are sitting in our favorite chair, to be quite honest. So, yeah, you wear you wear your running clothes a lot. And if it's good stuff, it's going to be keeping you comfortable, but also keeping you from being like, like the chafing and things like that that are like really bothersome to training. Mm. Even some blistering, like with their socks, I was, you know, raving about them on Instagram. But um, if you have really bl bad blisters, that affects your running so much. So mm -hmm. it's really great to have great gear and you can get 20% off. 20% using... off? What? <laughs> using the yes, code A to Z. The folks at Exoskin are so generous that not only are they making the greatest product on the planet and selling it to anyone who wants to buy it, they're doing it for you for 20% off. Zach is really excited. He's very <laughs> enthusiastic and it's authentic, but also Zach is super into like the science of things and the fact that this has really great material, textile technology makes him even more geared up. It's wonderful stuff. You need some, you wanna get it for 20% off, use code A2Z. That's A-T-O-Z. This week in the world of running, we get to start with some PRs. We are celebrating some A to Z runners this weekend. Bill chipped six seconds off his half marathon PR at the Rivertown Races event. And Erin did as well. She's a new official half marathon PR. So congrats to both of them, as well as the race director, who is also a previous guest on the A to Z running podcast. That's Andrew Bugama. Excellent. And then over in Toledo, Ohio at the Glass City events, Kate ran a new half marathon PR um, and it was nearly eight minutes off of her previous Smoking. half marathon PR. So, you and know, ran it beautifully. Do the math. Well executed. We're talking mm -hmm. about like 40 seconds a mile there. So that's solid work. And yep. then Mark also ran a marathon PR. It was about a minute PR with a Boston qualifier in the mix at the Glass City marathon. So mm -hmm. excellent weekend for A to Z Congratulations, runners. Congratulations, everyone. Speaking of Glass City Marathon. Ooh. Ooh. 
some news on that front. So everyone was applauding how well they handled like the COVID situation and they did do tons of amazing planning. But one thing that was missed was educated volunteers on where the course went. And the elite corral at the Glass City Marathon was pointed in the wrong direction in the early miles of the race. And the result times were slower and some people were dropping. Obviously disappointing since there are limited opportunities to run fast times. So that's hard on everyone. And, you know, this is just one of those things like something slipped through the cracks and misinformed volunteer. But I do want to end Glass City with a shout out to Mitchell Klinger and Zach Widener for going one, two in the half marathon. Those are Michiganders and also people we've been connected to. All right. And in other marathon news, still on Sunday, the 25th over in Wales, England at the Cheshire Marathon, some fascinating outplaying of the pacing duties. Yes. It's always exciting to hear these ones. Jake Smith ran his first ever marathon. He is he was a, the pacer. That was his duty during the race. And mid-race, he decided to stay in. And not only did he decide to stay in, but he won the event running 2.11 flat. That's an Olympic qualifying time. So it's not a bad marathon debut. Oh, not bad at all. It's also not a bad, you know pacer turned champion kind of scenario i wonder if you just like earn lots of money because you like have your pacer money and then you have your winning money or if there was a clause that says if you finish the race you don't get the pacing money (laughs) i don't know i think it's once you complete your 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 duties your pacer duties Mm. very interesting well nice work to jake smith of great britain (laughs) as well on April 24th, 24th, this one on Saturday, the Drake Relays happened in Des Moines, Iowa. Drake Relays is, is a famous track event. Mostly it's kind of like a collegiate with a few smatterings of elites. Uh, but this year with not a lot of track events uh, in recent past, you've got a lot of fast people showing up at every opportunity. Absolutely. So you have heard the name Leah Fallon. She's been on the show and runs for On Athletics Club out of Boulder there. Well, she won the 3K steeplechase. Mm -hmm. She is continuing what is looking to be a very strong season on the whole, running fast times in the 5K, and she's really working that steeplechase down as she gets closer to the summer when it it's going to really count for the trials. Mm-hmm. And the reason that we're bringing her up is we promised you we would keep you updated because she's a previous guest on the A to Z Running Podcast. Another previous guest from the A to Z Running Podcast is Cindy O'Feely, and she got a personal best time in the 110 hurdles. And that's significant because she was fourth at the Olympic Games in 2016, and her previous PR was from 2015. Wow. So she is on fire right now. She got more uh, championships under her belt this winter. She just keeps improving now, like getting this personal best time, but also in her placement. You just see her winning more and more. So it's really exciting to see. She also won this race at Drake Relays. So the veterans running fast, which is awesome to see. The teenagers were also running fast, and at least in the distance events. So 18-year-old Nico Young, which was a household name in high school, cross-country, and track everywhere last year, now as a freshman at Northern Arizona University, the Northern Arizona University that, like, wins cross-country every time they try. Um, Well, he ran the 5K in what appears to be the fastest time ever by an American teenager, at least officially for sure. So teenager is 18 and, like, 19 is not a teenager? No, 19 counts. 19 counts. Okay, well, that doesn't make sense to me. Yes, because it was just bested. However, the point is he ran 1324 at 18 years of age. That's really amazing. Now, 
that would be the fastest time for a teenager, period, or or something thereabouts. But Cole Hawker, at 19 years of age, who runs for Oregon, ran 13-19 to win the 5K. Okay, I see. So both of yes. them would have gotten it, but because Cole was in the race as well, he ended up getting the official title. It's just one of those things that uh, <laughs> teenagers running fast everywhere. So right. Nico gets a gets a solid uh, you know note on the results there but Cole takes the 13-19 win um, also just so you remember Cole is the one who won both the mile and 3k in the NCAA championships indoors less than an hour in like an hour yeah, yeah. so he's good all right, yeah. let's uh, jump over really quickly to Eugene, Oregon as well because we had the first of a series of USATF track races going on. Um, and this would be then on the 24th on Saturday, they ran the USATF Grand Prix on the Hayward facility. And in the 1500 to start, um, the men's 1500 saw some really exciting moments, at mm-hmm. least for us as we are intentionally following Ali Hoare as well. And so Ali, also of On Athletics Club, also a previous guest of the show. You see what we're doing here, right? <laughs> we interview someone and they just tr- turn out to run fast. So <laughs> if you want to run fast, you need to be on our show. All right. Just kidding. Well, Ali's had a great year so far as the races have been opening up and didn't have the opportunity to compete in the Australian championships. Um, he is Australian. He couldn't go back over because of the whole situation of needing to like quarantine and stuff would not have worked out and so as a consequence to run in the olympics he has to receive one of the at-large bids um, which means he's got to show his stuff and they have to decide he's worth it well mm-hmm. he's been doing that if you recall yeah. the indoor 1500 national record that he ran and he did it again not a national record yet but he ran 333 to win the Amazing. 1500 and why this is especially notable is the guy who won the australian championships did so in 333 high slower than ollie's time so, yeah, Ali's put himself uh, in that conversation time and time again. We are really hopeful that Athletics Australia is paying close attention. Yeah. In fact, I want to read you what he wrote on his social media. He said, making sure you're still paying attention, <laughs> talking to Athletics Australia. Great. Yeah. You love that. You love that kind of stuff. So yeah, good. They're watching. So we've talked about Donovan Brazier before. He's the American record hold. He's the... Uh, the champion world the world champion yes. in uh, 800 meters um and, and ran 600 a, record holder and, so and yeah. 600 record holder yes thank you um and ran a 1500 which you'll see 800 meter guys do this every now and then it's kind of like a strength test experience he ran a blazing 337 for a 1500 there are would not you say brazier many. was blazing oh come on <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. But he did finish third in the race. He ran 337. That's excellent. But in the same event, Hobbs Kessler, the high school phenom from Ann Arbor, Michigan, the one who set the national high school indoor mile record this year, showed up again for 340 in the 1500, which amounts to the third fastest high school or prep time in the 1500 outdoors. But what is especially notable is not only was he in a race with professionals and, you know, finished in the mix, he also had the fastest final 400 split of the race faster than all the pros. Yeah. Which is just, it's incredible. So you see this high schooler just kicking down all these champs, and it's like, oh, man. Yeah, 56.06 was the last 400. That's and I heard, it, like, I, well, I read some people writing it was a sparkling last 400. Oh, man. We would have been <laughs> better we off add that if to you our would lexicon? not have added that to the conversation. <laughs> However. I thought it to be an amusing word to use. Okay. Andy has some words for the 
1,500 women's race. Yes. Laura Muir, you should know her name by now. She's an amazing runner. She took a chance on the world record at this event, and she went out in 61.55. That's 350 pace. This is a women's 1,500 race. Yes, that's 350 pace. So it, it didn't end up being her day for this pace exactly, and she ended up slowing down and still winning. In a time of 4.01. But she was never really challenged in the race. So once the pacer dropped yeah, out, it was Yeah, when you go out that fast. So what's funny about it is there was a pacer in the race. She was way ahead of the pacer. <laughs> yeah, Charged right, true. to the front. No yeah. chance for the pacer to even get out front is awesome. Right. But she intentionally did that. That was not an accident. Nope, she's she's hoping to do this. Yep. So that's really exciting to see. She's going to do it. Yeah. I don't know if she'll run the world record, but she's going to run blazing fast. Her PR is 355. She'll get that this year mm. for sure. All right. So in the men's steeplechase, our final comment here, and there's a there's a personal reason why I wanted to share this one. Um, the, the winning two, the first and second times were both Olympic qualifiers, which matters because the men's steeple in the U.S. right now is slim. There's just not a lot of fast things happening, but of course, there's not a lot of opportunity either. Yeah. And so we'll see more fast times. But um, Isaac Updike won the race in an eight-second PR time of eight seventeen. Isaac Updike, who ran for Eastern Oregon, which is an NAIA collegiate school, and ran just just shortly. He graduated uh, a few years after I did. Um, but whenever you see these NAIA guys, because everyone always talks about like if you want to be a legit runner, you got to run. D1, NCAA, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then every once in a while you see these NAIA guys just trouncing people and you're like, yeah, it's good to see. <laughs> so nice work, Isaac Updike. You've got a lot of us rooting for you. Mm. And then Mason Furlick also ran Blazing Fast 818, also a PR, and a- apparently his first PR in five years, which is substantial because in the steeple, it's one of those things that the older you get, the harder it gets more than most other track events because that jumping and slamming down is not easy on the body. So it's a young man's run, as they often say, at least for the men's steeplechase. Um, now, that being the case, Mason Furlick was just recently dropped by his sponsor, Nike. And so, I, you know, you kind of hope in a moment like this that the Nike people are cringing like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have dropped him. Apparently, he's really fast right. still. Yeah, so nice work. Great work. Mm-hmm. So that's all we have this week for the world of running. And now on to our main topic. Well, there's a very good chance we do not have to convince you that change can be hard. But if you will bear with me for just a moment, I do want to talk about why, in as objective a way as possible, why change, in fact, is hard. Um, so for for most of us, the big challenge is uh, when we fall off the training wagon it, you know, during times of significant change and things like that, we find it very hard to get back on, um, harder to bring it back hard to keep it going, all of those kinds of things. Um, so why is it, why is it so hard when changes happen and the training feels like it falls apart? Mm-hmm. Um, first I want to use the quote that we're all so very familiar with creatures of habit, right? So we are humans. We are all creatures of habit. Um, and I'm curious because I bet no one listening, I'm going to take the gamble. No one listening actually knows where that quote came from in a word, I didn't know. <laughs> in a word it came from Tarzan. Ah. But not the the Disney Tarzan, all that stuff. The original author of Tarzan, the creator of the character Tarzan, Edgar Rice Burroughs, 
quote said, and this was in 1914, he wrote, we are all of us creatures of habit. And when the seeming necessity for schooling ourselves in new ways ceases to exist, we fall naturally and easily into the manner and customs which long usage has implanted ineradicably within us. Hmm. And that is a fascinating concept. So yeah. his point, if, if you want me to distill it for you briefly here so you don't have to think about those words, his point is simply that we fall back into old habits or bad habits, or maybe they're good, but we fall back into those most easily. Uh, that's evidencing that we are creatures of habit. Um, however, there's more to the point here, and it's really much bigger than just humanity. Um, I would say that certainly it seems to be the case that nearly all, if not all, of the observable universe seeks or tends toward order. Um, and so in that same sense, we and within our lives tend toward rhythm. You know, we want to find routine. We want to exist mm -hmm. in routine. Some of you may say things like, well, but I like spontaneity. Hmm. But your liking of spontaneity is probably part of a rhythm <laughs> in case you didn't think about it in that way. Um, like I want spontaneity every so often or in certain intervals uh, or do you or feel yourself things. yeah, yeah. Do you feel yourself certain needing spontaneity in certain things mm -hmm. yeah so there's there's some fascination there i think the point here is um it's inarguable that order and routine and rhythm are things that tend to keep us all kind of grounded in terms of the the observable experience within the universe mm -hmm. um so it happens when it gets shaken up yes so that's <laughs> then the problem so clearly it's a big thing if it's pretty much everything in existence. So when something shakes it up, it stands to reason that that would be a big thing and um, have n many ramifications. And that's kind of the point here. And so that's mm -hmm. what we want to try, try to do. Um, notice that in almost every instance, change has some kind of trauma. Um, it is traumatic. And I'm meaning that in the most general definition of the term. Mm -hmm. um, it has some kind of traumatic implications, meaning it's shaking us out of a routine or, routine or a rhythm. So then you see the things like decline in mental, emotional, and physical health is very common with any kind of change. And I should say, this is also true of good changes. You know, we'll talk about things like yeah. a new marriage. Mm -hmm. which can be <laughs> traumatic, believe it or not. And, and that's believe not saying Believe it or that, not. Uh, Ripley's, yeah. believe not it or not. these are bad things, but it's saying that the change itself can have uh, some negative ramifications. Even just Positive simple, ones too, yes. but changes that will shake things yes. up. Even, even simple things like it's just stressful. It's stressful mm -hmm. experiencing something new and different from our familiar experiences. Um, there's, And I want to just reflect on this very briefly. There are a lot of studies on student academic success within these kinds of things. And some of the most fascinating trends that you'll notice with these kinds of studies is that basically any amount of stability is almost always proof of better chances for success mm. for students. So instability is almost always a guarantee to have some kind of negative impact. And it's not always the case for every single human, but it certainly is true in terms of trends. And those things, however hard, can also lead to strength, having mm. to adapt. And it necessitates flexibility and agility, and it demands patience. Yeah, and that's kind of the point here. So if, if change, then adapt mm -hmm. and be patient and so that's maybe that's our main point and you could write that down if you want to because um, you're going to experience change you do experience change that's inevitable um, now the question is what do we do within those moments of change that best help us adjust 
be agile, flexible, um, and potentially how do we be patient in, in some of these things? And mm-hmm. what, what do they have? What are the impacts do they have on our running? Uh, which is the question that we're always seeking to answer within these conversations. So, Andy, what are some common changes that we all tend to experience and, and what are some things we can do about that? First one. First one, a new type of training ah. or a coach. So we're starting simple. Runners yeah. experience changes in things like the running that they're doing. Mm-hmm. That's the pretty new common. type of training you may be doing. Maybe mm-hmm. it's doing more mileage. There's a lot of different adaptations that occur if you change your cha- you change your running dramatically. I think that goes without saying that it's going to impact your running. <laughs> Indeed. So there's often a time um, of transition where you're going to feel maybe a little bit worse than you expect. And for instance, for me, when I went from high school running to collegiate running, I went from one kind of training to a very different kind of training that involved a lot more intensity than I was used to and some lifting on my non-intense day. So I felt like everything was really intense all the time. And my flaw in all of this was that I did everything all out with really understanding my training. So I never felt recovered. Yeah. Right. I never felt recovered from it. And I could have done a lot better and served myself a lot better during that period of time. But the initial change, everybody goes through that. Mm -hmm. Everybody goes through like, okay, this is my first time in a weight room. My legs are going to feel worse on my everyday run. And I have to change my mindset about it and know that, you know, my easy runs might be a little bit slower as I'm recovering. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of the key factor is in making any kind of change to your running training routines. Um, first, know why you're doing the thing, whatever the thing is, um, and in knowing why, you tend to be able to say, "Is that why a good enough why to do it differently, or should I continue doing what you know what I've been doing?" Um, some of those kinds of questions are important to ask. I think we talk about this all the time with our athletes, the ones we coach. Um, it's, it's so important to understand why the thing I'm going to do helps me reach my goal. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into that more just in, in reflection here in a while. But um, the point is you do need to know the why. And so when you're ad- adjusting or adapting to new training, new coaches, any of those kinds of scenarios, you've joined a new running group and they do things differently, um, try to know why so that you can at least then execute the intent mm-hmm. correctly which matters a lot. Mm-hmm. And as I integrated some of like my PT exercises, my legs would feel like a little trashy because I was so weak. And even just doing my PT exercises was causing a change in my training. And I had to realize that that was a priority and me running slower was okay because I'm still serving the end goal um, intentions for my cycle. So mm. being able to take that in stride and and we talk about it all the time on this podcast, but not being married to the pace is especially important during transition periods because oftentimes the unseen and the seen stressors are going to necessitate that we slow down a little bit because our heart rate might be higher. Yeah. And that's, so that's the patience thing then too, um, which is whenever you make adjustments, there's an adjustment period. And uh, when that's the case, especially with something like a new integrations of things, they make us sore or they make us a little more fatigued than we're usual. Um, we, we need to understand that there's an immediate goal, which is to get stronger or whatever the get is that we need to get at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to 
know how long it's going to take to get that and be patient through that time. You know, mm -hmm. things like aerobic change takes a long time to adjust. You, you have to be very patient. Uh, but then things like general strength, like a small change from a physical therapist recommending a new drill or exercise, you should be able to start seeing the benefits within three or four sessions of those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But under those three or four sessions, you're going to be a little bit sore and maybe need to uh, account for that. Mm -hmm. So a difference in transition and difference in life can come from a new job. Ah, yes. So if you're changing career types of things or, you know, job, we could use this term a little bit more loosely if we wanted to here. Basically, if you're making a change in the way you spend the majority of your time in a given yes. day. Yes. Um, so your job actually most changes. Most of us, that's a job. So maybe yeah. like <laughs> this year you have the same actual job title, but you were working from home. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's mm -hmm. a change in your job. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so with that change, uh, the first and the most important thing to consider when we're changing how we're investing our time and efforts in a given span of a day, um, that's changing the schedule and the routines. Mm -hmm. And those are the pieces that we have to really be mindful of there because um, if the routine doesn't have to change, it's probably good not to change it. Um, especially if something dramatic is new for you, like a totally new job. If yeah. you don't have to change your routine about when you run or how or when you do hard days or easy days or long days, all that kind of stuff. Um, if you don't have to, don't change it. That's that's all, often the best <laughs> mentality with routine. Yeah. Um, the other thing is if you do have to change the routine, be mindful and intentional with how you adjust it and try to create a new routine that's that's manageable, that's yeah. sustainable. Um, how many times, and, and we could give examples of this, uh, how many times do you say, okay, I need a new routine here. I'm just going to try X. And then after a week or two, it's not working well. I have to change it again. And then I have to change it again. Now we've got this situation where basically we have not been able to string together a month or more of consistency. And it's making it that much harder every day to get out the door and do mm -hmm. the thing. I do want to note too that you change your other routines based on your new running routine as well. So for instance, I had someone ask me specifically on a forum about how to go from evening or afternoon running to morning running. And a couple tips I gave, like one being like when you get up, even if you're not going to run early in the morning. Oh, sorry. This was for afternoon running, switching to <laughs> afternoon running. If you're not going to run in the morning, still do a couple exercises in the morning to wake yourself up. And then during the day, if you're sitting predominantly, get up and do a few a few things during the day, during your lunch break. Maybe you're going to do some dynamic stretching or some, you know, some things that are going to help your body feel good later. Because her complaint was that she felt really bad at the end of the day. And she used to be a morning runner and she got going and she felt good through the day. So there's things that you can do as far as your routine goes um, that are outside of your actual running itself. Mm -hmm. That is true. So let me give you an example from my life. Um, so at one point in time, I was a high school teacher. And one of the beauties of teaching is that it's very predictable in terms of you know your schedule you generally know your entire schedule for the whole year at the beginning of the year and it only changes when there's things like power outages and snow days or sudden major pandemics but um so i do, I do not want to suggest that teachers had it easy this year but when i was teaching i had it easy with my schedule um it was very predictable and then the next career move i made was into consulting and the thing with that situation was it involved 
random bouts of periodic travel. Um, not necessarily terribly random, but at the same time, every day of the week was not consistent like it was when I was teaching. You know, Tuesdays I would be driving two hours in the morning to get somewhere, and Wednesdays I would be working at home, and Thursdays I would be going into an office. You know, like all that kind of stuff. So as a result, I didn't have a consistent day-to-day schedule. I couldn't because when I could run on Monday mornings, I could not run on Tuesday mornings. When I could run on Wednesday afternoons, I could not on Thursday afternoons. And so the point was I had to create a kind of hodgepodge schedule. And, and you were a new dad at that point. Well, and indeed I was also a new parent. So in that instance, I had to find a routine that was not a consistent day-to-day and that was very hard mm-hmm. for me. Uh, but what made the biggest difference is when I could sit down at the beginning of the week, because I didn't even know week to week always, uh, when I could sit down at the beginning of the week and say, here are the days when I need to run at this time here are the days I need to run it this time. And that also helped her mm-hmm. um, too, which we'll get to a little her bit being later. Um, <laughs> yes, sorry, those of you not watching. Uh, so anyway, um, the point here being that something like that is the, the big routine and schedule adjustment. However, in a general sense, as Andy was suggesting earlier, um, there's a lot of things that we can we we can change just one aspect of the work that we're doing. And it has a dramatic impact. Like, you know, when I was teaching, I was doing almost everything on my feet all day. And then when I went into the consulting situation, I, I would spend time in an office where I'd be sitting in an office chair. Um and many of you are working at home when you've worked other places recently and and you're sitting at home for substantial periods of time that has massive impacts yeah. on the physical dynamic because you're sitting versus standing or if you're standing wearing certain shoes versus other shoes those mm-hmm. are significant things mm-hmm. lots of changes and i did want to mention the footwear thing one more time just mm-hmm. because a lot of us are in this right now where we've been home more and maybe barefoot or slippers. in slippers Lots and of slippers. i personally for work have to wear heels and a lot of women will choose to wear heels in the workplace and men you might have like certain footwear that changes where your arches um I would suggest if you are going back into offices to try to maybe do some prep work for yourself. If you're going to plan to wear heels, um, maybe find some opportunities to do that to like wean yourself in. Not wean because that's like taking it away. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then also um, doing doing some like heel raise exercises. Uh, I've posted one before from Adam Hamalka of Endurance Rehab- Rehabilitation. And then that mobile board. I'll link again to that. Um Really, you guys, our feet, like Dr. Bill Johncock said, are like so important. They're the root of our body. And so as we consider footwear and job changes, that might be a contributing factor in how you how you prep your body to go back into the office if you haven't gone back in already. The two worst things to do for your feet when you're on your feet a lot are wear something that is dramatically raised, women I'm talking about heels, and something that is incredibly flimsy and thin. Those are the two worst things. Which, which a lot of men have for dramatically is, yes, <laughs> flimsy. So, and, and men, you know, men thin, who wear maybe. dress shoes uh, infrequently, those shoes almost always have a significant heel difference. And so it's a similar kind of situation then too. So anyway, the point being, yes, those things matter immensely, especially when we're talking about substantial periods of time over the course of time, mm-hmm. like weeks on end working at home and then suddenly going back into an office or something like that. Mm -hmm. Next most common change that we tend to experience a lot of is moving or geographically changing where we live Mm -hmm. um, and some of the things that come with that. Uh, So certainly uh, similar to job and and vocation, um, the need to pay attention to routines and schedules are going to matter in a lot of different ways here. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and the geographical part of it, like you'd you're going to be literally going on different routes. And it might mean that you are bringing a phone along looking at a map, which is going to change your running. I mean, if you're going like at a steady effort, it's going to be kind of hard to be navigating. So pre-planning your routes, trying to eliminate as much of that mental stress as you can, because that will contribute to your run. But also knowing like if you do have to be looking, if you're looking or you're having to spend a lot more mental energy Uh, as you're running, like know that that's going to affect the results of your run and don't be too caught up in it. Mm -hmm. Andy has a good example. Yeah. (laughs) From our life. Yeah. So I went from living in Rockford, Michigan, where we have this thing, this beautiful thing called the White Pine Trail. It goes forever and ever with very little interruptions. And I moved to, well, on campus for a brief period. But then we lived downtown Grand Rapids where there's a lot of interruptions. And I'm a rhythm runner. I love running uninterrupted. I'm the girl who's like at the stoplight. Like I keep like moving and stuff and I get antsy and I'm clicking the button as much as possible because I get a little frustrated waiting there. Um, But that interrupted my run and my momentum. And I needed to let that go because I think part of me was upset that it was like messing with my time. And if I ran back and forth, the GPS wasn't like counting all my running exactly. And I really had to separate myself from the results of the run where I could not compare that to running straight down the White Pine Trail. Not that my time mattered then anyway, but I think a lot of us do see that and we get frustrated. So I just had to manage expectations on the run and really keep, I do think it's good to keep moving. Everyone has their different way of treating stoplights and stop signs. I treat Um, them as suggestions. Oh, I was meaning like whether they're going to stop and stretch or, you know. simply saying I don't stop. Oh, yeah. Unless the car's about to hit me. Oh, goodness. Then I might change my plan. Pray for me and my nerves when it comes to Zach running in the road. But the key here is being when you move to a new place, something that's unfamiliar specifically, and you just don't know where am I going to run every day, um, it's, it's actually really important to maybe spend some time, sit down initially, and just think about, okay, what are my most common running needs? Like I need a good... 10 mile loop, or I need a good, a good out and back for my long runs that I can go as long as I need to on the days when I got to really do a long run, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, some days I want to run faster. So I need a route that I can actually handle all of these things. You should have a general sense because you do, if you're a runner, you do certain kinds of things in training somewhat regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so have a general sense for that. Sit down and look at where can I do these things? Mm-hmm. And are are they within distance of like my house so I can just run from my front door? Or do I need to drive to some places? Um, where are my best options? And, yes. And plan that out. And then default to your most common options when you need to just get out the door and go. And then when you're more free and open and exploratory and have some time to do so, then try something different and see if it works. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so there's opportunity for both of those things, but it's going to be very helpful for sustainability to plan out some of the key routes. And that being said, there's going to be people who know some great routes in your area. So if you're moving, I'm going to plug all the local running groups in your area. There's a lot of great running communities out there. And traveling for my job, I've mentioned it a few times here. I like to plug in and find the running store and ask them if there's any running groups. Because a great way to get connected um, is also 
you know, running with these people who know the area so well and can help you find these great routes. It's true. Just looking on a map by itself doesn't fully cut it. Now, in this same sense, because if you're antisocial like me and you don't <laughs> want to talk to any of those people or have to run with anyone else, then go on Strava and start looking at random people's Strava feeds who run in the area and you'll start to identify the same kinds of things. The difference between Zach and Andy right Always. here. Speaking of relationships, mm. this is the next change. So we all experience significant relationship changes in some sense at some point in time in our lives. Most of them have to do, and, and really the notable change is when they have to do with the people we live with. So yeah. you're changing the people you live with, whether that's things like, you know, a new significant other relationship, marriages and such, whether that's something like new roommates, um, moving out of your parents' house into a dorm for the first time, moving out of the dorm into your own place for the first, you know, all those kinds of things. Yeah. Those are super stressful changes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Because, and really predominantly because humans have different needs, desires, wants, and priorities based off those needs, desires, wants, and expectations for the people's needs, desires, wants, and priorities around them. Mm -hmm. And this is also a dynamic. So it could be the same relationship, but there's a change within that relationship. Mm. So let's add a stressor like moving or a new job. And the relationship dynamic also mm. changes, requiring some of the same conversations to occur. Anything that has a change in interpersonal expectations yes. is what we're talking about when we talk about relationship changes. Yep. Um, so Andy wants to give an example. Yes. About when she married this guy. Well, it was after. So that's why I was saying oh, like the relationship. After you married that guy? Yeah, because we were in college running together. And that Wait, was pretty who obvious. Who are you talking about? What guy did you marry? <laughs> you, of course. Zach Ripley oh. is my husband and has always been my husband. Um, well, no, that's not true. <laughs> we married at some point in life. Yes, 2009. Before that, you weren't married to me. Okay, well, anyway, I'm derailing Andy on Yes, purpose, you are. Just seeing what happens. Yeah. And when we went from collegiate running to this post-collegiate ordeal, I had no idea the level of commitment Zach would need and require for his running. Or just want. And it was really it was really intense for me personally because I was running kind of casually. I'd run for a group called Playmakers somewhat. Uh, every once in a while, I'd be plugging in, hopping in things, but I wasn't training very seriously. And the amount of running Zach was doing was so much more than mine. And I got to this point where I'm like, how how long are you going to be doing this? Like, I feel like I'm picking up all the slack at home and, you know, you're running all these miles. You're so tired all the time. Like, I didn't understand how it fit into our lives. And I didn't really understand that Zach wanted this to be a lifestyle. And so I felt like I was kind of living on fumes in a way. Like, I just have to do this for a little bit longer. And so then when it wasn't a little bit longer and it kept extending and extending, I built some resentment. To this day. And <laughs> no. <laughs> well, and, and the interesting thing here is for me, I, there were no decisions happening there. It was just simply I was carrying on a routine. Mm -hmm. um, and so we went from, you know, and part of it was because we were married in college. So we were married while we were still on the team competing yeah. for the team. And so as a consequence, our relationship didn't change when we graduated from college because we had already been married. And so the running thing 
was in in my mind it was just carrying on. I was just continuing with what I and had enjoyed about running in college, which mm-hmm. was you know training hard and competing when I could and, and traveling almost, to West Coast yeah. to fly to races and spending Andy's hard-earned money at the time. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was just hard because I didn't understand it. And now that I understand it more and we've had more honest conversations about the place that running holds in our lives and Zach has done a good job of articulating it to me now, I think that it is a lot it's more sustainable because I understand the expectations. But back then it was like immediately you were training for, you know, to qualify for the steeplechase at the Olympic trials, which he did. He qualified. And then after that, it was the marathon and cross country ran, you know, for the U S he represented the USA in cross country. And it was like all these things. I'm like, it's awesome, but you know, he's not professional. When is the intensity going to get him back not off? Making money, only spending money. <laughs> Running was not making well, us little money. bits here and there, a uh, little, little fun monies. Money. But so the thing here and what you're all waiting for right now is so what, what made it better? <laughs> right. <laughs> and it, Andy's big answer to relationship, um, changes and the thing that we need to do as runners has everything to do with communication. Mm hmm. Totally. And when we were able to sit down and have conversations about the place that that running filled in our lives, it became a lot better for us and it became life giving. We talk about thriving a lot here at A to Z running. And this is like the crucial factor for us. If our relationships have peace in this endeavor of running then we can continue on and feel recharged from running and not having have it take away from our relationships and take away from our energy and take away from our hope and optimism. So that's why we want to feed it good things. And one of the things that we feed it is is communication. Mm. So if I can add one point to that, then um, it's really important. So in, in terms of communication, then really trying to share Knowing our shared priorities and how I build my running routines and my training regimen around those things, um, that matters a lot. However, as you know, you can't do that with all people in all of your relationships um, because that would be impossible. Um, so, so you have to draw a line somewhere. There are certain relationships that running must defer to those relationships. And there are other relationships that it's okay for me to say, well... I need to make some compromises here because this is when I'm trying to train and, you know, things like that. And so we're not going to tell you which of those relationships are the important ones to you, but what are the important relationships mm-hmm. to you? Um, and trying to understand that running should never take precedence over the important people in our lives. That mm-hmm. that's, That is not at all a healthy thing, but... And that is an opinion that we have. It we is. We know that some people hold different opinions. But you need that. to hold that same opinion <laughs> as us. Um, and oh, the point goodness, being, Zach. because when it's at its best, when we are thriving at our best, we are sharing the values and priorities here with, with those important relationships as, as we're talking about. We're sharing those things. And as a consequence, we're finding how running can fit best within this more important thing mm-hmm. of our relationships. Yes. That's the idea. And I do want to mention Clayton Young and our Mm. episode with him last week that was all about transitions. And he spoke very highly of his wife, Ashley, and how she has played a major role in his ability to go through this transition and come out as a U.S. champion. And in their conversation, he even told us like a very tangible thing that they have discussed, which is that he will go after 
this professional running for eight years. We're giving this eight years. And that was Ashley's thing. She's like, we're doing this for eight years. Two Olympic cycles. Two Olympic cycles. And I thought it was really cool that they had that conversation in the very beginning. And then they can reevaluate later on. But for them to have that already staged and, you know, it's going to look a little different for those of us who aren't professional runners. We might want more sustainability, but there are things like I want to qualify for the Boston Marathon mm-hmm. and I'm going to give more time and effort than I usually do in this season of life because I really want to do this. It's a bucket list thing for me. So you have that conversation with your significant other mm-hmm. or the people that are important in your life. And you talk about this is going to take more from me than usual. Yeah. So and, and this is this is just it. Everything has a season here. And so if you're hoping to enter into a season where running has a higher priority than it might in a, in a previous or different season of life, um, we've got to sit down with the important people in our lives and talk about that, or at least the people who will be affected if we make any of those kinds of significant changes. Um, when we talk with athletes who are interested in joining us in a coaching endeavor, one of the things we always say is, We don't want you to make a decision until you have a chance to sit down with those important people in your life and talk about whether this is a choice and for this season that I want it to be. And and there's a reason that we articulate that because, as Andy says, says, um, we need to have those conversations so that we can enter into the experience fully within the priorities and expectations and values that Mm -hmm. we've set. So our final change and uh we are we're kind of going going heavier and deeper as as we walk here um the final change is when we experience loss Mm -hmm. um and and any kind of significant grief or trauma experience um and this this is going to be the hardest kind of thing to talk about here with you because they are such very different kinds of experiences depending on the person depending on the situation depending on the loss and depending on what else is around you in your life mm-hmm. um, and so we can't necessarily give advice as much as express the kinds of things we're dealing with when we experience significant grief and why this has such an, a big impact on something as simple as running mm-hmm. and training as well yeah, this was not going to be something that I was going to share. And Zach, I didn't put it in our notes, but I just feel compelled to. Um, you know, I have experienced loss of of teammates. I've had actually quite a few teammates of mine throughout the years that have passed away. And one of the things that can happen during a time of loss is that we raise the flag. It is for them. Mm. It, this is all this all this effort and this emotion and this grief and this loss. I'm doing it all for this person. And it's it's a wonderful thing to be able to honor with our efforts. And I don't want to take that away. So don't don't con- consider what I'm saying um, just on the physical ramification. I have done that and I have drilled my body into the ground in, in a very real way, like weeping after running because it's so emotionally charged. Mm. Um, I, had, I had a friend that passed away in college and I, I weeped at the end of races sometimes because she was she was my training partner. Um, and I had some burnout that happened because I just kept running so hard because I felt like it was for her and for her memory. And I felt like, you know, Life is so precious and valuable that I kind of just burned through my steam. And that can happen to us sometimes in grief. And sometimes we need to go and have that hard run. Um, But knowing that we also need the rest too. Because 
we are still physical human beings. And if we put ourselves through a significant run that's really hard and we do that over and over, we're going to require some rest. And in that sense, um, the the grief that comes with loss uh, has so many different kinds of effects on us. Um, this is one of the reasons why concepts like uh, like the grief share and any kind of um, coping groups, counseling, and those kinds of mechanisms, why they are suggested so highly uh, regardless of the kind of grief is simply because these things have dra- traumatic, dramatic effects on our health, on our physical, on our mental, emotional, all of those things. Even And so we've got a study here, Andy has looked up and we'll share the link so you can actually read the more detailed versions of these things. Um, but things like, you know, it, emotional stressors and especially grief and loss um, have implications on something as simple as like inflammation, you know, mm-hmm. physical inflammation, blood pressure, nausea. And, you know, so like these physical indicators of an emotional strain are mm-hmm. very real things. Mm-hmm. Which is obviously going to affect your running when you're having these physical uh, manifestations of your grief. And during grief and loss, we have all kinds of like what I should be doing, what I can be doing. And managing all of that, we're not going to tell you how to do that. Running has a place in your life that, you know, hopefully it can only help you during your period of grief or or maybe it's not running, whatever you decide. Um, but give yourself some time to get back to your yourself. So however you use it, Mm -hmm. whether you run through it or you don't, give yourself some time to feel like yourself again. Mm. So the the point there is always that running can be a positive coping dynamic. Um, And especially because we know that what happens within our brain and the health implications um, for running are there and they are true and they're real. However, in the same exact sense and what they tend to call the obligatory running um, can actually worsen many of those things. And so I need to give myself permission to engage in the amount and and duration of running that suits my Mm -hmm. situation and my needs Mm -hmm. at the time. Um, And that's where, you know, if I'm working with a coach or someone like that, you know, just that, that honest communication of, and maybe the honest communication is, I don't want to talk to you for a bit because I got to deal with this. You know, that certainly is present too. But mm-hmm. the point of um, be honest with yourself and whatever sources of training about how much can I handle right now that can still be a positive thing and where do I need to make sure that it's not being a negative mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And I do want to mention the studies. Actually, kind of went past it a little bit. But um, one of the other things like with stress, so grief and loss induces stress. There's other types of stress that you may have during transitions. But I did want to mention this because it's a physical ramification. Um, <clears throat> it re- uh, psychological stress reduces performance, including decreased VO2 max and decreased heart rate. Um, so, but increased blood pressure. <laughs> so all, all these, we're, we're susceptible to more injury. We're susceptible to perhaps having decreased performance and taking that all in stride and considering that we're not we're not losing. We're just having to take some time for ourselves. So let's wrap this conversation up in reflecting on, so change change is hard on us um, and we know why and we know that we like rhythm and routine. Um, so the key then is if there is some general kind of recommendations on what we're trying to do as runners to address the change in, in the best way possible, here are a few just blanket general statements. First, find 
new routine and do so as quickly as as you if you need to can. but keep routine if everything else right, is changing right, and you sorry. can <laughs> if your routine's been disrupted find new routine yes. so find routine whether it's the same or a new one if needed uh, and do so sooner rather than later because the longer amount of time we spend not in a routine the greater the stressor of the running itself is as well as uh the harder it is to then get back into routine when we are trying to mm-hmm. and then the second one is adjusting expectations just in general um, we need to know that if you're having major changes in life there's a good chance that your running performance will be affected even if everything stays the same in terms of your training Um, because those outside changes have, as we've discussed in so many ways, uh, so adjust expectations. Mm -hmm. And then the final point is you may need and want to modify training directly. And in doing that, in making any kind of training modifications, always whenever you can, however you can, try to do so intelligent. Yes. We did a whole episode on that. I will link to it. That's episode 56 of the A to Z running podcast called how to intelligently modify training. Absolutely. A lot to think about here in this reflection and this conversation. But I think the biggest thing is that we know change happens. um, And we know that humans are resilient people. And in that kind of a sense, even the difficult moments that we have to get through in life, um, that we're not the only ones who have gotten through mm-hmm. or had to get through those difficult moments. And I want to say it this way. You are resilient. Mm. You are. Not just people. You. You, you, you. And people. Because <laughs> you're a person. You Didn't are a I person. I, yes. I just oh, I wanted to make sure that enough. people can feel it and know it and it can resonate in their bones for a second. That you are resilient and any change that comes your way, you are capable And even if you feel weak at the time, know that that weakness can be turned to strength and that with some patience and with some consideration, you can come out stronger than before. Mm. So good. Andy, you've got it. You've got it. (laughs) All right. So yes, we are happy to be help in these kinds of things as well. If we can certainly feel free to reach out, you know, send the notes and the questions. People do this all the time. And I think it's wonderful. Send us a note, Mm -hmm. an email, a comment on something that says, you know, here's my situation. What would you do? Or what do you think I should do? And all of those kinds of things. Um, It's not that our opinion is the only good opinion. No. It's just the best one. No. Oh, Zach Ripley. <laughs> Look, I said He it embarrasses so me good. so much sometimes. You knew that was coming, didn't you? You're <laughs> listening to us thinking, I know he's going to say it. No. All right. So the point here is that we want to help if we can. Yes. And certainly if that means in specific training needs, whether that's writing training or coaching you directly, we're always happy to do those things. But if it's not quite that extreme and you just want to get an idea, send us comment, question on all the places, and we would love to interact with you. Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us and we'll talk to you next week.